Welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie. Welcome back to our every two-week conversation about uh, what we've been reading, what we thought about it, what you might like, if you want to get in touch with us, what we might like. This week, I read three books besides the one that we read together and that I cannot wait to talk to you about. The first one is called Jane in Love by Rachel Givney. Um, It's a Jane Austen book. It's a book about Jane Austen, um, which is what made me pick this book up, although it involves one of my least favorite things to read about, which is time travel. And this is complete blasphemy, despite the fact that I'm not a particular (laughs) sci-fi nerd. I love time travel books. Yes, yes, you do. And time travel movies, and but I don't like it. So I knew from the beginning going into this that this would not be totally my thing, but I really did enjoy the book. Um, It was a light look at Jane going way into the future and then falling in love because, of course, the real Jane Austen never got married. She wrote all these books about romance and finding your perfect match, and she never did. So this just provided a really kind of amusing look at what could have happened to Jane Austen. But but wasn't there an element, I'm not going to try to spoil your book, particularly one I didn't read. <laughs> you but don't know. I feel like the part of the story was there an, was an element of like the more she chose to stay in the present, the more that she sacrificed yes. her, her prior notoriety. Yeah, like the, um, the big decision here was the longer she stayed in the year 2020, her book started disappearing. And she was faced with the choice of whether to stay with this guy she was in love with or go back and become the author she's always dreamed of being. So um, it, it it was a great premise for a book. Um, the second book that I read was called This Time Next Year by Sophie Cosins. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, but anyway, this one was about uh, a man and a woman who were born on New Year's Eve in the same hospital. Um, the guy was born just a few minutes Um, after midnight and won the big prize for (laughs) being born the first baby of the brand new year and she was born right after and missed it all and believed that her life was doomed to unluckiness because of the unluckiness of her birth Um, and then they meet up many years later and hijinks ensue this also was just a thoroughly enjoyable book and you and I talked a lot while I was reading these two Um, neither of them are going to go down as high quality literature but sometimes you just need something that is absolutely fun, absolutely entertaining, and these two fit the bill. See, I thought you were going to say this time next year, I, I didn't remember talking about it. I thought you were going to say it was about COVID because how many times have I been like, you know, this time next year, I'm going to go to a double header at the ballpark and I'm going to eat three hot dogs, you know. No, I mean, it's probably better that it is something like, because everybody's got uh, their own, you know, pleasure centers as a reader, and and particularly when things are as crazy as they've been, uh, it's always a good time to revisit those. Yeah, I'm usually a pretty versatile reader, but I have found myself turning again and again to just reads that are pure entertainment that just make me really happy. Okay, the third book that I read, though, was nonfiction. It's called The Powerful Purpose of Introverts, and it's by Holly Gerth. Um, I'm totally an introvert. You're totally an introvert. Yeah. Um, And this book is talking about how introverts have strengths that they often don't think about. Lots of times introverts will think that the fact that they need quiet, they need solitude, they need time to think and process means that maybe they are um, not as well suited for the positions that they're in or the roles that they want to play. But this book pointed out all the ways that the skills and gifts that introverts have are um, created for a powerful purpose in the world. 
sure. I, you know, it, it, uh, it, for me, it goes off and along with like Enneagram stuff. I mean, I'm a five, you're a one. It's kind of hardwired into us that we have these vaguely antisocial tendencies, <laughs> uh, the surface, but, but it's, it's good to know that it doesn't mean that we're hopeless outcasts who can never do anything. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And according to Holly Garth, about half the world is introverted and half, the other half is extroverted. And the two were made to complement each other. And that was the best part of this book to me, the way that she showed how both halves work together. And we need both kinds of people to make up a fully functional and beautiful world. That wrapped up my two weeks of reading. Tell us about what you read, Joe. Well, I, I'm not entirely dissimilar in that uh, I went with some, some fairly light stuff, although the, the combined book, I, I think, uh, qualifies as something of a heavyweight. Yes. Uh, but the, the first book was a book I'd almost finished the last time we did this. I'd forgotten. I, I read this actually since I'd put it aside a couple weeks ago now. <laughs> uh, but it was Jeff Perlman's book, Three Ring Circus, which is about the L.A. Lakers uh, in the era of... Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and Phil Jackson. Is this this is a book that you thought you might want me to read for a little while? Yeah, the the interesting thing for Perlman is he writes this book and it, it's fairly scathing. I mean, all three of these cats, Bryant, O'Neal, Jackson, are basketball legends with massive egos. And the fact that the three of them coexisted for a few years, it's not surprising they won championships. It's kind of surprising they didn't murder each other. <laughs> uh, but, of course, Kobe Bryant tragically passed away. And Perlman had to talk about the immature, difficult to get along with Bryant. Perlman had to talk about the Bryant who probably raped a woman in Colorado. Um, and then Bryant dies. And he actually wrote an essay where he said... I wasn't sure what to do with this. I knew a lot of the things that people told me honestly about Kobe they wouldn't have said if I'd asked him after he passed away, which is undoubtedly true. He said, I even thought about just cutting out the rape issue entirely. But ultimately, I thought what he did was, was smart. He put a note at the beginning and said, in all fairness, I've had so many people who've told me that the immature kid Kobe Bryant was is not representative of the man he became. And I can't undo the past, but I did want to say in all fairness that this is a slice in time. It's not representative of everything we know about him. By all indications, he grew, he changed, he improved. Uh, but then he told the stories. Uh, and and an interesting book. Perlman is, is one of the more uh, creative nonfiction sports writers out there. His last book was called Football for a Buck, and it was the definitive history of the USFL, uh, which was out in the 80s and tried to kind of overtake the NFL. Uh, it ultimately failed, but one of the interesting facets of that league that Perlman got into at great length was that one team was owned by some fellow from the New Jersey, New York area of things named Trump. <laughs> uh, actually, uh. Perlman had opened the book with a great letter from one of the other owners who uh, said some very kind things about Mr. Trump and then basically said, you've been a jerk too long, and if you try it with me again, I'm going to bust you in the nose. <laughs> so, you know, f Football for a Buck was an excellent uh, book. So was Three Ring Circus. Can, um, we, can we just go back really quickly? I totally respect what you said he wrote in that note. That's really a brilliant way to handle writing about 
a whole person when you're really just addressing a small piece of his or her life. And that's one of the things that has gotten to me sometimes about biographies, the idea that we judge people so much on one piece of their lives. Oh, when, absolutely. When we're, all ju- we're all whole people trying to figure it all out. Well, and the interesting thing then is the other book I read, uh, I read it for the Baseball by the Book podcast where I was part of a panel that discussed Roger Kahn's famous The Boys of Summer, which let's, is... Let's just go ahead and make a play. Baseball by the Book is a fabulous podcast. It too. is. Justin McGuire's an excellent host. Thoroughly um, enjoy that. Yeah. It would be uh, must listen, even if I wasn't occasionally on it. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, if you're a baseball fan, you should definitely check it out. But we talked about this book. I'd read it before. Uh, it is kind of the seminal book about the 1950s Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, but Khan did an interesting thing. He came back in the early 70s. The country had gone through Vietnam. Through It was on the cusp of Watergate. And he went back and he told some of the old stories, but then he caught up with these guys. So he'd known Jackie Robinson as this brilliant, blinding, skillful baseball player. And he wrote about him as an old man who was being taken down by diabetes, who mm-hmm. had a son who had become a drug addict. Hmm. Um, he did so many of these, these stories. He went and caught up with guys, Roy Campanella, the great two-time MVP who was in a wheelchair from a car accident. Um, the boys of summer is about athletes growing old. It's about the, the way that time stops for no one. And, uh, it, 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 the two books, I, I, I had no thought of reading the two of them together, but in a weird way, they, they fit together. Uh, Cons is a, is a, a old school classic, and Perlman, I, I enjoy all of his stuff. Uh, I might like football for a buck a little bit better than Three Ring Circus, but you couldn't go wrong with either. Um, so, so both good books, and and both exploring, you know, the, the the link between pop culture and guys, you know, trying to throw a fastball past a hitter or a ball through a hoop, and then what does it all really mean? Uh, so. Both both excellent reads. Enjoyed them both. Sounds like it was a really good two weeks of reading for you. Sure. All right. The book that we read together is called His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope by John Meacham. It is. Uh, I, I want to give a lot of credit to myself because I purchased this for myself. You did not. <laughs> no, I did. I did. This it, it was on my birthday list, but the book came out after my birthday. So. I bought it, though. No. I did. No, so. I bought it. Yes, I bought it for myself. I you did. Not. I got receipts. I'm gonna. I'm gonna prove this. But. No, I bought it. You. You said last <laughs> week I bought this for you. I know I bought this for you. <laughs> Maybe you did. Honestly. I didn't think so. In any case, I. Well, okay. Then I give myself credit for choosing it. <laughs> no, no. Meacham um, is a great historian. Uh, you got his book on Thomas Jefferson when you were in the uh, the Parnassus First yeah. Editions Club. That's it. That's yeah. what I'm stumbling over. The Parnassus Bookstore in Nashville, Tennessee, and that was an amazing book. That was my first introduction to John Lew. I mean, not John Lewis. I'm sorry, John Meacham. You had read some other things by him already. Um, you know, he he had that book. He had a book on, I believe it's Andrew Jackson. Uh, the last book that Meacham did was one that really resonated with me, and I'll talk about it a little bit more as we go. It's called The Soul of America, um, but in a book about presidential leadership uh, through difficult times. Anyway, Meacham's historical bona fides were already there, and then I found out he had written this book about John Lewis, and I was like, I want to check this out. Um, it's, a, it's a thick book that's really not 
as slow as it looks like it would be, it, it flies by pretty quick. Uh, and there's biography here. There's history here. I feel like in many ways, this is the most all-encompassing of Meacham's books, though. And he's such a great writer that that's, that's saying something. All right. Um, let's talk about, with His Truth is Marching On, let's talk about the timeliness of this book, because that was the first thing that stood out to both of us. Well, it first has to be said, in case anybody isn't familiar, John Lewis uh, was a congressman from Georgia toward the end of his life. He passed away in 2020, uh, which is one of the things that made this book timely. I'm sure Meacham was at work at it. Uh, Lewis he actually was. writes the afterword of the book himself. Yeah. So They had been uh, talking for years. Yeah, it's not like he just cranked it out after he passed away. Uh, but Lewis was one of the, the last remaining links to the original days of the civil rights movement. Uh, Lewis was a protester in Nashville. He was on the buses on the Freedom Rides. Uh, he knew Dr. King well. He, he was on the bridge in Selma. He was on the bridge in Selma. That might be his most iconic uh, stand. But, but he was involved at the grassroots level in so many of these colossal civil rights moments. Uh, he stayed involved politically, again, became a congressman from Georgia, and that's how he spent the, the latter years of his life. Uh, but we get that history. We also just get a portrait of a remarkable, remarkable man. And in the current political climate where everything is, again, divided, there are still so many questions about race that are at the forefront of what America is trying to figure out right now. Uh, John Lewis's story stands very fresh indeed. Yes, there's so many parallels between the things that he talked about going through as a teenager and as a young man and the things that we see going on in our country right now. Um, I never, I didn't know a ton about John Lewis before I read this book, but I was just knocked over by his character. Um, the fact that he was single-minded in his focus on what he felt like was a calling from God to seek justice for African-Americans and to really push for that with everything in him. He wasn't worried about suffering. He wasn't worried about going to jail. He wasn't worried about dying. Everything for him was about integration, really true community between the white community and the black community, everybody being together, and that this being what God truly, truly wanted. It was an issue of faith for him. And um, it, it, showed in everything that he did well it, it goes without saying almost but a lot of the 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 revelation of lewis is is the things that he was not for that he, he didn't stand by and yes he he wasn't about violence he was about love he wasn't about a separate society he was about a joint society um he was about very much this fusion of faith and pragmatism, one of the things that comes out early in the book, as was common then, as was common, uh, you go back into the 1800s, and, and how many times have black people been told, oh, it'll be different someday, it just won't be now, just be patient and be good and follow the rules and abide this life, and in the, the life to come, everything will be better, and obviously, as Christians, that's, that's fundamentally something we believe. And we have talked about that as being an issue that we still see right now, just with 
separate from the issue of race, mm-hmm. but that goes on in churches now. That the focus is on it will be good someday. You know, we are all just we're all just waiting. We know everything is miserable here. But John Lewis was not about that. Not that he didn't believe that it would be good someday, but he said, we're here now. We've got to make it good now. We've got to make it right now. And his focus was on the people that he knew and the ways that he could make a difference right here. And I love the the stories. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who got his start preaching to the family's chickens. <laughs> that was amazing. He took care of the chickens and he preached to the, the chickens. Uh, he, I guess his first protest then was his mom uh, <laughs> knocked off one of the chickens and, and made fried chicken. And he said he wouldn't eat any. You know, th- those were his chickens. His congregants. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, th- the thing that's interesting uh, about Lewis personally is the fact that he unfailingly uh, paid the price for his convictions. We're talking about a guy who was arrested, I think they count up 45 or so times. Even again after he was a congressman? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is not a phenomenon of his youth. Yeah. This is a phenomenon of a man who, who really studied at the knee of Dr. King. Uh, they read some of the same books. They were hit by some of the same uh, theological points that, that love would have to win out over hate and that action would be necessary in order to make that happen. And that action would be a difficult thing. You would get your head cracked with an ice stick. You would get thrown into jail, but you didn't hit back. You didn't fight. You just loved and you kept going. And Lewis took criticism from some people because of his unwavering devotion to this idea that nonviolence, that love were the things that would make the most changes. But he stayed with it. He was just single-minded. Well, good. yeah, and, and the beauty of this book, which I can't recommend highly enough. No, it's um, wonderful. If, if, you, if you care about America and where it's going, if you care about civil rights, if you care about motivated Christian people making a meaningful difference in their world, I, I can't recommend the book highly enough. Um, it's a great book because as a student of history, I often would get chunks of civil rights. Right. There's a tendency to see each of these struggles as isolated. We have Rosa Parks and the bus boycotts. We have Dr. King. Uh, we have the Freedom Riders. We have sit-ins. Uh, but, but largely to see each as disconnected from the others is to catch only a fragment of the story. And what Meacham did here is really quite interesting in that he took a single important life that was fixed in the middle of it, John Lewis, and used that as a framework to tell the whole story. And when you see it through the way that it all impacts Lewis, you can see it as you know parts of this continued movement instead of little chunks. So, so even if you're like me and you've read, uh, you know, I, I'm not extensively well read on this stuff, but I've read a few dozen books on these kinds of topics. This one really did possibly the best job of any of them of giving a comprehensive framework, uh, but still being interesting. And when we say that this is the story of John Lewis, it does focus mostly on the 60s. It gives us some background leading up. He was just a teenager when he joined the civil rights movement. So it gives some background leading up to that. And about the end of the 60s, then it brings us to him as a congressman receiving the Congressional Medal of Honor from President Obama and shows how all of that fits together. So how about the book award that he got? This is always 
possibly the, the, the quintessential John Lewis story. I, it was one of the National Book Awards, <laughs> and they had the celebratory dinner, and they presented him with the award, and he choked up because he said he remembered being a kid, and he wanted a library card, and <laughs> he couldn't get a library card. And now to win this honor, you know, was so incredibly meaningful when it meant the culmination of a life that had come from being somebody who couldn't even get the access to the books to learn these important lessons to change the world. Lives like John Lewis's always um, push me to do better, to do more, because this is a man who didn't quit trying, didn't quit working until the day he died, didn't quit weighing in, using that influence that he had for good wherever he could see it. There is that temptation, especially in a year like this one, to feel like everything is bad anyway, and you should just make some popcorn and turn on Netflix and shut all the doors and maybe hit the lights on your way in and um, pretend that nothing else exists. That is not the way that John Lewis did it, and that's not the way to make any kind of change in the world. You can't give up, and you can't give in. And, I mean, you and I have been talking this morning. What are the ways... That we're, that we're supposed to be doing more, that we can be contributing in this world right in our particular spot. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's the legacy of Lewis. It is a neat trick in the book that he gets the afterword. He gets to make oh, one was... final pitch and say all these things and to say the hope is not an illusion, the hope is not an empty dream, the hope is the vehicle of change. And you've got to have it, you've got to believe that the arc of the moral universe is long, but that it does bend toward justice but it's not going to bend if we don't people are pushing it (laughs) (laughs) exactly so i'm so grateful for john lewis and everybody who's like him who leads the way but uh we want to be following in it and grateful for john meacham who again i think took a tremendous uh professional chance john meacham's this established older historian uh, he could sit out there and write about James K. Polk and, and Henry Clay and, and people like that. And, and, and frankly, if he does, he'll probably teach me a lot of things. But both with this book and with The Soul of America, a two-part prescription to fix what ails us on the personal level, on the national level. Both great books. Tremendously different, both tremendously important. If I had to pick one, I'd probably take His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis, and The Power of Hope. But the beauty of reading is you don't have to pick. Read them both (laughs) because they're both great. And when you do read them, let us know what you think. We'd love to know. Paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. Of course, you can get us through the Apple Podcasts, through Stitcher, through Google Podcasts. If there's some other way you want us to... uh, disseminate these let us know and we will try our best to make it happen thanks for joining us this week we hope that we'll see you again in two weeks when we are moving back to discussing some fiction that's uh, that's the mo so i guess <laughs> i'm stuck with it but until then thanks and keep 